Bitcoin. Welcome to another POW market update. My name is Ansel Leonard. This is Bitcoin and Markets. This is not investment advice, people. Do your own research. Let's get started. All right, let's get started on another episode here of Bitcoin and Markets. Lots of stuff has happened. On the last episode, I think I was saying that uh, the bottom was in on the price and we were going up. I've released uh, several um, several charts out on my Twitter feed, BTC MRKTS, for you guys to take a look at. Um, the bottom has held. We had a double bottom. Let's see, what time, what day was that? December 30th or so, or so we had a double bottom. Then we, we surged all the way up to 17,000, which was really strong, uh, kind of faded a little bit at that point, struggled to really make the, uh, to break up into those higher, uh, the higher prices from a couple weeks earlier. So there is some resistance right there at 17,000. That's pretty, pretty strong. Um, and then we've, we've seen a basically, let's see. So since January 6th, for the last four days, we've seen consistent downward pressure on the price. But I want to point out that we've seen this downward pressure and price is still hovering at $14,000. It's not some huge decline. It's not like there's been a problem with the network. I'll go over the network stats and stuff. The The, net, the fundamentals are the exact same today as they were four days ago. They're better. So if you were basing this price strictly off fundamentals... It should creep up every single day. Obviously, we're going to have these swings. That's how the market works. But we can't diverge too far from the fundamental value of Bitcoin. And that's one of the reasons I do this show is and I, I look at the fundamentals because those are very important to discover what like the fair market value is for Bitcoin. All right, so. Let's jump into the prices and things. Um, the, for people new to the show, I go through the first half of the show roughly uh, and go over tons and tons of metrics. I'm always looking for new ideas on metrics. Uh, I, I freaking I collect a lot of these things, and I'm I'm willing to collect a lot more and and talk about them. But uh, yeah, just contact me on Twitter, either at the BTCMRKTS account or. Ansel Lindner, that's my personal one, and DMs are open, so you guys can contact me there. All right, Bitstamp. I like to use the Bitstamp price because there's no margin, and it is roughly pretty close to where Bitfinex is, the highest volume U.S. dollar exchange for Bitcoin. So, uh, right now, the spread is only a um, hundred dollars, so that's not too bad. But Bitstamp is fourteen thousand eighty dollars. That makes one finny, which is one ten thousandth of a Bitcoin, $1.40. This is the $1 um, denomination right now for Bitcoin is the finny. And that's another thing about what's happening right now in Bitcoin is a lot of people are talking about unit bias. Richard Hart, the first time I ever heard this term um, was from Richard Hart on the Max Kaiser show, which he did a great job, I thought, on the first half of the interview. But the second half was um, a little bit less impressive. But um, yeah, that first day that he was on he knocked it out of the park he used the term unit bias which uh, is a great way to put this people are worried that they don't understand bitcoin is divisible newbies don't understand that bitcoin is divisible so we need to start quoting it in a different price to get rid of the unit bias the lightning network is going to need um, 
a native denomination other than Bitcoin. Because it's really hard to say, oh, send me 0.000246 Bitcoins. Like, that's not going to work. You need to say, send me uh, two 2.5 Finneys. And people will know what that is. So there needs to be a native denomination smaller on the Lightning Network. In my opinion, we'll see how that emerges. I don't know. Like, centrally planned things never really work that well. Uh, so I think we just need to see what the community comes to uh, in the next six months or so. They'll, they'll land on something. All right. Three-month futures price, uh, 15200 This is Bitcoin settled futures. That's a spread of $1,200 or 8%. So this, even though the price is trickling down, we haven't seen the futures catch down with the price. We did see that back uh, at the end of last year, around December 29th or 30th. We saw it go even and slightly below the bit stamp price was the three-month futures, the March futures. So that is that was good. And I think that's still the turning point. Like that is still, uh, the that low has held as well. So... This is okay. CME futures, the volume has been down. They haven't even had any volume on their June contract. Yesterday they had zero volume on their June contract. March contract uh, is at $14,105. Sorry, $14,155. So very small, not even $100 premium on a three-month product. They're still figuring out the kinks. A lot of the traders are still figuring out... Um, the cash traders are figuring out how to, to price these things, and we are in a in a downturn right now. So that, but it's interesting that there's quite a bit of spread there. I mean, you could play some games with selling uh, three month Bitcoin settle futures and buying three month CME futures. That's an automatic win, right? Bitmex futures. So their March contract is at fourteen thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight, basically a thousand dollars above, and June contract is at fifteen thousand nine hundred thirty, so two thousand dollars above. I think that's pretty fair. So those are the Bitmex Bitcoin settled futures. Market size and metrics. Global market cap for Bitcoin two hundred and thirty-eight billion dollars. It's been holding steady. Global market cap, that's global Bitcoin market cap, including all the altcoins, $711 billion. So that leads to a maximalist price of $42,442. On-chain Bitcoin volume in the last 24 hours, $3.8 billion. Um, we did, this was okay, uh, four point, right around $5 billion um, a couple days ago, but it has come down a little bit. Um, everything is just kind of droopy and sagging right now in Bitcoin. So we got to wait till we, we turn the corner and uh, people get their bullish momentum back. Because right now, the last four days has been ruled by the bears. And just there's nobody has. People are buying here and there, right? And holders are buying. I have a friend that every couple days he sees the price go down a little bit and he buys a little bit more. And he's a long-term holder. So the, these holders are, are buying on a almost daily basis they'll buy a couple hundred bucks maybe right all of that's being sucked off the market all that supply so even if there's whales playing games here they're losing the the share of you know available bitcoins to, to sell and you have to buy bitcoin to sell bitcoin that's an important point here on other markets like the gold market you don't have to buy the gold to sell it you just sell a bunch of paper gold right you can't do that still in bitcoin 
Average transaction value on chain, 10,500. That is okay. I'd like to see it maybe a little bit higher, but we can go with that. Not a big deal. Difficulty has been exploding. And this is one reason why I know that the bubble, quote unquote, bubble hasn't popped. Bitcoin isn't the bubble. It's the dollar. And I'll talk about the dollar here in the commentary section. But the difficulty for Bitcoin continues to grow. And Bcash, which is the same, uses the same equipment to, to mine Bcash. Bitcoin difficulty is estimated to go up 13% in three days. Another 13%. We've seen a double digit increase. Two out of the last three difficulty adjustments. And now this one is is looking like it's going to be a double digit as well. I mean, lots and lots of hash rate. There is a story involving mining here for, in this respect. So China um, came out and said, not penalize the Bitcoin miners, but we're not going to be subsidizing them anymore with this cheap power. And a lot of people were kind of right off the bat. They're like, oh, this is bad. But now we've seen countries like uh, Canada in Quebec, Canada, Francis Pouliot has been working up there with a lot of people and they are ready to court the miners. Ontario, Canada already has, they're building a humongous um, mining operation there. So th these miners have places to go. And the difficulty keeps increasing. So this is healthy. This is a very healthy market. It's actually like just the same as with the, when the Chinese exchanges were super dominant there was this air this this feeling over the market where they were people were worried like look at all the centralization in china we're kind of worried about this the same with mining right now look at all the centralization we're worried about this because uh china is kind of like a, a loaded gun you don't it's it could go off at any moment so uh, now that they've said something now that we're getting these people out of china and decentralizing them a little bit it's it's a relief in general i think for the market right away it, it feels bad and maybe that's why we're seeing a sustained dip but overall long term i think it's going to relieve the market that we're we're decentralizing where where mining happens anyway so uh what else 10 percent hash rate is on bcash right now but they still have less than 200 transactions per block on average and it's just no one's using it. No one cares about Bcash. We, I'll talk about that a little bit more in the commentary section about some of the FUD we've seen. But uh, yeah, so Bcash, we've seen Bcash pumped over the last couple difficulty adjustments, especially the big ones. So uh, expect that to continue this time. So in three days, we're going to see a pretty big pump. That's going to fade. It's it's going to keep continue to go down. I mean, it's not even at 20% the price of Bitcoin. And remember, it started at par. Mempool. Bitcoin mempool, according to TradeBlock, and they filter their mempool a little bit, 18 megabytes, so not bad. Uh, Joho has it much higher than that, obviously, because he measures everything in, let's see, where does he have it? He has it like over 200 megabytes, but he he measures everything, and they drop out as little as possible, where TradeBlock is going to drop stuff out sooner. Um, but the average, or the, a good fee to get something in the next block, or in the next couple blocks, is 105 Satoshis per byte. That's not too bad. And I also want to point out that there has been a large, if you look at Joho's site, which I linked to in the show notes so you can check it out, um, there's been a large rise in the number of 100 Satoshi per byte transactions. I mean, especially percentage-wise here in the mempool. Uh, that's good. 
in my opinion, that's really good because that shows that people are actually using better fee estimators, right? So if a lot of these super high fees are due to bad fee estimation. We haven't seen a big growth in these super high fees. We've seen a big growth in just like the, the minimum to get it approved quickly to bypass the spam, the 100 Satoshi per byte level. So I think that's good. To me, that says that people are using better fee estimators. All right. Development. So there's lots going on with Bitcoin development. The thing they're trying to get out right now is a full integration of SegWit into core, uh, especially the GUI. This is, to me, this is a positive sign because everybody says, oh, it's Bitcoin core is dominates Bitcoin. That's the, the attackers will say that. And this provably shows that it, they're not right. Core does not have SegWit fully integrated into core. It's integrated from a transaction perspective and you can use it in uh, transactions and stuff with command line, but there's no GUI. There's no interface. So this shows that core is not out there leading the pack on this. If anything, it's showing that core is holding, holding this up. So holding up what the rest of the ecosystem, what the rest of users are wanting. Um, but they're going to be coming out with that pretty soon, I think. And that's going to do wonders for the, um, for the SegWit numbers in general. Now they're merged PRs in the last week. They've had 11 merged PRs and 11 closed issues. Uh, that's a little bit lower than normal, but these guys are working really hard trying to get this newest um, uh, newest release out, minor release with the GUI enhancements. And if you look at other things like Bcash and Ethereum even, I mean, their, their development activity is much lower, uh, especially Bcash is basically zero merged PRs on any of their implementations. They'll say, oh, we're decentralized. We have five different implementations. But several shows ago, I walked through each one and there were no, there was no development activity on four out of five of them. And the other one was catching up with the current state. Like their merged PRs had to do with just getting up to uh, being compatible with the current difficulty adjustment. So there is no development activity happening on Bcash uh, versus Bitcoin. There's 11 merged PRs in seven days. OTC volume, last metric area here we have. Local Bitcoins hanging in strong at 96 million transactions in, or sorry, $96 million in volume uh, in the last seven days, most recent seven day period. And Packs full, 5.2 million. It's it's kind of slacking off. I don't know if people are moving over to local Bitcoins. There's still a story there. Ledger X has had much lower volume. On the 9th of January, they only had one swap. So I don't know what the story is with Ledger X, but their volume has dropped off uh, drastically. So maybe there's more volume going over to the Gemini auction i should take a look at that uh, but remember that gemini auction is where the SIBO is getting their futures price so that would make sense that more volume is going over there because it's an actual um, used metric and maybe they're courting a lot of that that volume but ledger x volume is dropping off here i might have to add gemini into the mix all right so otc volume roughly 104 million dollars in the last week that i have numbers here for and that is solid. It's not great by any means, but it's solid and we're continuing to see good uh, demand on the OTC side over the counter. Let's get into some commentary.
This is the Bitcoin space, but I have to talk about Ethereum here a little bit. Ethereum had just the other day, they came out with a bug report and there was massive amounts of vulnerabilities once again found in um, Ethereum and Parity specifically, which is their used to be as close close to a reference client as you could get but um there's all sorts of memory leaks let's see denial of service vulnerabilities um overly permissioned cross-domain whitelist policy vulnerability uh leak sensitive data about existing accounts uh, describe multiple um authorization bypass vulnerabilities i mean just goes on and on and on they cannot they cannot secure Ethereum smart contracts. They cannot do it. Janine from Block Digest. If you guys don't watch Block Digest, I recommend you do. I I, I really like the show. It's You got to listen to it at like 1.5 speed though because they do go off on a lot of tangents, which is for me fun to listen to. Uh, but some people that have less time than I do might, uh, you know, they, they do ramble. But Janine on there, she had a great point. She said that Ethereum doesn't even have a functioning multi-sig. And this is supposed to be a smart contract Turing complete platform. And they don't even have a functioning multi-sig. These vulnerabilities keep stacking up and stacking up. Another thing, they are actively trying to hold back these apps that need censorship resistance. Like, you know, maybe subversive type uh, disruptive apps out there that that would actually be good for Ethereum to give them some use case. But they are too connected with government to promote those. So they probably, in the background, they're probably trying to kill them. So the only apps that will get like support from the Ethereum Foundation are apps that don't matter. Centralized apps that don't the censors, the, the, you know, we try to be censorship resistant against the censors, which is government. And they, they're going to promote only these, these really nice flowery apps and not apps that actually matter to humanity. There's nothing going for Ethereum, but it continues to pump. And I have to conclude that Ethereum's price has zero to do with any technical or fundamental reasons. It is pure, 100% raw speculation. And we've seen Ripple, Ripple pumped up to $3.30. Brian Kelly of CNBC went on there and told people how to buy Ripple at $3.20. And now it's gone down nearly 50%, down to $1.88 with no end in sight, continues to fall. And I think what happened was a lot of this money, we had the market cap attacks. These are market cap attacks on Bitcoin. And we saw this with Ripple, and now it's moving into Ethereum, and maybe next it will move into Bcash. But they want these, these centralized alternatives to look good com compared to Bitcoin, at least for the noobs that, you know, for this new money coming in. Because new money doesn't necessarily have to go into Ethereum or Ripple and then flow back into Bitcoin. Some of it will, definitely. So, you know, these people like old school uh, OGs uh, traders in Bitcoin, they, they will ride the wave and then turn it back into Bitcoin. Some of those people will. But these noobs will just get stuck in Ripple or stuck in Ethereum and they won't be able to sell it 
mentally they won't know what's going on. All of that value will be just burned, it just disappear. And those investors will be disenfranchised or disaffected. And the powers that be that are trying to attack Bitcoin, that is what they're going for. They're wanting these new people to be turned off. So they'll pump it, then crash it. And hopefully 90% of newbies just leave and don't come back. That's their opinion. But I think that once they get a taste, once they get a taste of this uh, new asset class and this new market that's being formed here around Bitcoin, that they'll be back. And next time they'll be smarter and they'll buy Bitcoin. So it's not going to work in the end. But that's what they're trying to do right now is a market cap attack on Bitcoin. So yeah, if that's if that holds true, we're going to see Ethereum pump. And then we're going to see Bcash pump. And then maybe back to Ripple. I don't know. Or Dash. Or some other stupid project. But uh, Bitcoin is being attacked. And its price is holding strong. Uh, there's There's nothing to worry about. All right, I've seen this blockchain meme pick up some more. I'm kind of hopping around here, guys, so sorry about that. I just took a bunch of notes, and I'm just going to go down my list. I've, I've already hopped down to the Ripple commentary back up here to blockchain memes picking up. So I've noticed a lot of noobs obviously coming in. My meetup, there's a couple newbies that have come in, and all of a sudden they're like, well, I'm new to the space, but I'm really excited about Stellar. That's this newest one that I heard this last week. And they think Stellar is going to help them do this app that they've been thinking about for, for a couple years. And they think Stellar is the missing piece. <laughs> and then they begin in this blockchain discussion about, oh, blockchain is going to be used for medical records and for supply chain. And all these really smart corporations are dumping money into blockchain because it's the next thing. I'm like, no, no. R3 had the same sort of thing. Okay, They have 44 banks, I think, at the height that were part of R3. The consortium to try to make blockchain work for this trading app or this trading platform that they're trying to do um, and they couldn't they couldn't make it work they said well we have to get rid of blocks oh now we have to get rid of all this other stuff so it's it's not going to work okay you can't just dump money into a problem and make make this solution fit all these people are wasting money by this the blockchain meme itself is an attack on Bitcoin, trying to say that it's not the economics of Bitcoin that make it flourish, but it's this technology. Look at this blockchain is like a breakthrough. No, blockchains only work for censorship resistant applications. That's it. Because blockchains are inefficient. And I rant about this constantly. I want to pound this, emphasize this. You can't use a blockchain for medical records. You need a token for a blockchain first off right you need a valuable token to incentivize people to actually mine your blockchain and you need miners because you need to have a consensus layer people need to come to consensus in a trustless way proof of stake will not work here private blockchains will not work you need a value token you need proof of work you need decentralization so private blockchains again will not work if you're using a blockchain between five people, you just freaking centralize it. They already trust each other enough. Like a proof of stake blockchain with five people. Look, how, how insane is that? Like that is to, to say that's, that's viable. You have to not understand anything about blockchain. Nothing. Five people. They obviously trust each other. They can even meet face to face. 
It's going to be slower for them. It's going to be inefficient. If they trust each other enough to have a blockchain between five people, they trust each other enough to centralize it. Plus, the government can come in there and shut you five people down or turn one of the five people and it's over. And it doesn't even have to be government. It could be a competitor. Say there's a, um, for ease of analogy, say there's like some sort of blockchain for a mi mi the military industrial complex. Well, Russia could come in or China or some other interest could come in and pay one of those people on your private blockchain to turn and become an insider attack. That is, Byzantine fault tolerance. Google that. It needs to be Byzantine fault tolerant and it's not. With five people on a private blockchain, it's retarded. I'll I'll rant more about that later, guys. But uh, this blockchain meme is dead, and noobs that come in, we need to push them towards the direction of look. You need to have proof of work. You need to have a value token. You need to have decentralization, and it must ha uh, have a necessity for censorship resistance. Okay, Bcash FUD. Let's get onto that. So we've seen a lot of the, the FUD from the Bcash con artists picking up again. Uh, but we're not seeing a corresponding mempool attack. I talked about that earlier where we're seeing a good amount of uh, smart fees out there um, in the mempool. Because it is spam is expensive. Fees are doing their duty. It's disincentivizing spam, which is great. It's perfect. That's exactly what it's there for. Bcash is being pushed by a couple of billionaires. They just bought this the Bitcoin Twitter handle which I've reported as, you know, impersonating somebody else and spamming people with uh, scammy stuff. You got to ask yourself this question, and I posed this on Twitter. Can Roger, if Roger flipped on Bcash like he's flipped on Bitcoin and started fudding Bcash, would Bcash survive? No, it wouldn't. It would die very quickly. He would dump all his Bcash, turn it into Bitcoin, and that's that. Bcash is super centralized and super vulnerable to attack. If it got any sort of parity with Bitcoin, well, the government would want to destroy it too. Well, no, probably wouldn't because the government can control it. It's not decentralized. The government can come in and control it. So they have no problem there. But there's no ability to use Bcash then in the way it's supposed to be used. It's not good money. Good money is censorship resistant. And let me go off on a tangent here about Gresham's Law. Now, uh, maybe six months ago, I spent some time talking about Gresham's Law on the show. That's where uh, good money or bad money drives out good. So if you have two options to spend good money or bad money, uh, you're going to spend the money that's gonna, that's you don't want to hold. And you're going to hold the good money. We see this hyperactive in Bitcoin. Many people are holding Bitcoin and not spending it because it's very good money, right? And the better the money is, the more it's going to be held in this environment, in the world. Yeah, anyways. Okay, Jamison Lop has a Medium post out there about his, uh, or BitGo's, challenges with Ethereum. I linked to that in the show notes. You guys can check that out. Maybe I should have put that in with the Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum bugs. So the dollar had a really bad night last night. After it looked like it could recover, but overnight it had pl it's plunged another percent. And this is big news because the U.S. dollar underlies a lot of the world economy. And even the Fed is out there now saying they don't understand why inflation isn't picking up. Um, but it is. 
Look at stocks, look at gold, look at oil, look at Bitcoin. Inflation is picking up. The dollar is devaluing against all of these, this, these other asset classes. Even real estate's going up. I mean, everything is going up. So except the dollar, right? And that makes sense. The dollar's going down and everything else is going up. That's where the inflation is in these other asset classes. Just because it's not on the soy burger that they measure in the CPI, <laughs> that's not where inflation is. Look at art. And definitely look at Bitcoin. So it doesn't look good for the dollar. I expect it to continue down here. We formed a really nice head and shoulders on the chart with a throwback. The last two days were kind of a throwback. So if this head and shoulders plays out, I mean, we're looking at, what is that? Three more points down. So it's going to be right around the 88, 89 handle on the, the DXY. And who knows if the bottom could just fall out from there. Just as recently as 2014, it was down at 80. There's no reason it can't go back there. The dollar is in some pain right now. We're seeing the Chinese, um, what is it, the Yuan oil futures starting trading on the 18th, I believe, of this month. Um, symbolizing, you know, a huge hit against the dollar's backing as a petrodollar. The petrodollar is basically dead. I also think some of the protests and things in Iran recently were a last-ditch effort for the U.S. to pacify Saudi Arabia. And say, look, we are doing stuff here for you. We're, we're in with the CIA in Iran and trying to destabilize Iran. Um, look, you need to stay with us. But I really have a feeling Saudi is turning east. They're turning towards China. China has a base in Djibouti on the other side of Saudi Arabia. They also have, they're putting a military base um, right on the border of Pakistan and Iran. Like on the coast there like 80 billion dollars they've already spent so china's moving in saudi i think is going to start moving east they see the writing on the wall and they don't want to be involved with this crumbling dollar empire so watch out for dollar denominated assets of course we'll see inflation in stocks not bonds like bonds will, are going to get routed here i think um, but crypto uh, mainly bitcoin i think gold oil all of these harder, durable goods, they are going to be, uh, commodities will be pumped up. Uh, the dollar is going down. So be prepared. Bitcoin. All right, that's all I have for today, guys. Thank you for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you like to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Thank you to all my patrons. You guys are the greatest. Have had a couple new patrons in the last week. So we're still slowly growing there. That's all, guys. Peace. Bitcoin.